Forgive us our debts as we forgave our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, a very good evening to everyone. How are we this evening? Are we good? Are we good? Any new faces that we have here with us for the first time? Let's see a show of hands. New faces? Oh, welcome, 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 welcome. That's good. That's no new faces? No, not the first time. No, it's not. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> well, to all the new faces that are with us, a very warm welcome. And I hope you, you know, you're going to enjoy um, you know, the, the Bible preach and uh, you get something good out of it. And uh, I hope it's not going to be the last time because uh, if it is, then you're in trouble. I'll be coming after you guys. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I might actually start with a, a few questions and see what the Lord Jesus is going to show us the way and give us enough wisdom to answer those questions by the power of His Holy Spirit. Okay, the, the first question about organ donor. I, I want to know about it. I believe it is good to do it. Many people telling me it, is, it isn't. And the question, why? To donate an organ, an organ donor. You know, when somebody... Um, not only when they pass away, but even when they're alive, they want to give a part of their body to someone else to give them a better chance and a, and a, and a new sort of uh, life and a fresh one. So is it good to do? Some people are telling me it is not a good idea to do. To answer this question in a very brief and nutshell sort of answer, I'll say it is not against your Christian faith if you're a Christian. It is not against a Christian faith for you to donate any parts of your body to help someone else. So... As long as it is not against your belief, then you can do it. People can say otherwise, that could be their, their personal choice and their personal perspective. But if we come to our belief, it is not against the Christian faith for you to donate you know, part of your body to someone else. So if you want to do it and help others, it is good. 
you know, and um, the Lord Jesus, he was the biggest donor of all. He gave his entire life, his entire being to us, not just a part of his body, but he gave his entire body to us. So if Jesus did it, man, I, it's all right for me and you to do it. All right? So it's all good. Here's my heart for you. Give me a plastic one. <laughs> Some people think that if you get someone else's heart, you're going to start to have different feelings. You know, because it's a different heart. <laughs> the poor heart, all it does is just pump blood. It's, one doesn't know about emotions and feelings. It's, don't worry, so you're not going to change. <laughs> I know Jehovah's Witnesses are against this. If, if, you, if any of your people that you know that might be from that sort of world, worldview, then yeah. But as a Christian, no, we are not against it at all. My question is, can we serve God when we are sad inside and we have problems? Yeah, tell me about it. I know the feeling. I'll buy you a fish burger, don't worry. It's all good. When I'm feeling down, I'm feeling miserable, just like a, a winter, rainy, miserable, cold weather, and I'm feeling exactly like that from internally. How can I serve God when I'm really, really can't even stand my own self? You know, all I can say is the following. One, nothing stands in God's way. He can use you for His glory, and He can get something really powerful out of you if you just allow Him, even if you are at your weakest, lowest, and most miserable moment in your entire life. Jesus is God. And God has no limitations to what He is capable of achieving. So it is not how you feel that determines how much God can work in you. What you need to do is, however, is to really give your will to God. And always, not only when you are feeling good and strong in faith, you say, Jesus, do whatever you want. But always say, Jesus, do whatever you want, regardless what kind of emotions I'm going through, what kind of feelings I'm going through, and what kind of moment in life I am actually in or at. So when you give your will, when you give your heart, when you give your entire being to the Lord Jesus, then the Lord can use you for His glory regardless of how weak and miserable you may feel and be. So to answer your question, can I serve God? Yes. Now that is from God for me. What about from me for God? You know what? To be the smartest merchant ever, to make really good profit in your sort of dealings, it is when you are feeling miserable, if you can then go to Jesus and say, even though I am at my lowest point in life, but Jesus, I am ready to serve you. I am your servant. What shall I do for you? That is saying to the Lord, that's what true love is all about. That's what true love is all about. When we are the weakest, then I go and say to Jesus, I love you. You see... When someone on a human level, someone that loves me, a partner, husband, wife, any relationship, 
You know, if they are providing me everything and then I go and say to them, I love you, yes, I may mean it. It's from the heart, it's not from the lip. I may mean it and I say, I love you. But it's not really proving that my love is really genuine or at least it's not proving that I am understanding the word love when I say to someone, I love you, when that someone is providing everything I need. Well, of course, I'm going to say I love you. Someone talks to me nicely, I'll say I love you. Someone gives me a Mercedes Benz, I'll say I love you. Someone takes me out to dinner and surprises me on a weekend trip, of course, I'm going to say I love you. But imagine someone tells me off and then I go and say I love you. Someone that just broke my heart, yet I go and say I still love you. If you can do that, that is a genuine love. And that, then only you can really understand what love is. You see, when, when Jesus makes me strong in faith and I say, Jesus, I love you and I'm all for you, I'm not doing him any favor because he's done it. But when I'm feeling miserable and I go and say, I, I love you, Jesus, I'm not, and I'm all here for you and whatever you want, I'm still here for you, that proves that the love is genuine. I give an example of this. You know, you say to someone, I'm going to meet you at Ayers Rock in the hottest time of, of the year at 1 o'clock at lunchtime or at 12 noon, right? And it's at Ayers Rock. It's the hottest place in, in Australia. And it's, it's at 12 noon. It's in summer. It's a scorching 50 degrees. And I say, I'll meet you at 12 o'clock. And then I show up at 4 o'clock. And the guy is still waiting there for me. He's almost melted like a chocolate, or like a candle, but he's still there. But if I say to someone, I'll meet you at 12 o'clock at Fairfield, Nida City, it's air-conditioned, right? And there's a lot of shops, there's a lot of things to do and preoccupy yourself with. You see a lot of people going and coming. You can go around, shop around. Even if they show up at 4 o'clock, yes, I'll be upset, but probably not because uh, I, I was preoccupied with a lot of things. But at Ayers Rock... There's not much things to look, you know, around and for. And to really last the four hours under that scorching sun, that proves that the love is genuine. Serve the Lord when you are weak, because the Bible says, for as long as I'm weak, God is awesome. He is powerful, because this, the power of God and the strength of God is revealed in the weakness of the human flesh. Yeah? So love Jesus when you are feeling miserable. That's genuine love. Don't love them only when you are feeling good. Why did all the religions start in the Middle East? I don't know. In the Middle East? Not really, is it? Well, I guess the human race started in the Middle East. Adam, the Garden of Eden. Some people do say, or the majority do say, that you know, the Garden of Eden was in the north of Iraq. Uh, apparently, physically speaking, and literally speaking, that it was full of trees. They take it in the literal sense and they say, north of Iraq seems to be the way and the place where the Garden of Eden was. But there are some scholars and they do refer to the Garden of Eden to Aden, which is one of the cities of the um, United Arab Emirates. Uh, Aden is Eden. And they do say that Eden is Aden, which is in the Gulf region. Now, Regardless, it is in the Middle East. So the human race did start in the Middle East. Humanity started in the Middle East. And if we go back to the time of Babylon, where they were building the Tower of Babylon, and then, and then the Lord God was upset with them, and then he just 
introduced all these different languages to the human race and they started talking and nobody understood the, uh, one another. Uh, this guy started talking in Chinese all of a sudden and the other one in, in, in Assyrian and in Arabic and wow, what's going on? Before we used to speak one language and now we speak in all these different languages. So the languages started and I guess the, the tradition started there, the humanity started from there and, and the religions of the world, you could say they started from there because that's where the human race began its journey from the Middle East. One more question maybe. I want to talk to you about something. Why is it so easy to choose and do bad, but hard to choose and do good? So why is it easy to do bad things and so hard to do good things? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a good one, isn't it? Well, actually, St. Paul says that. He said, the things that I really desire to do, I'm not doing. And the things that I hate doing, that's what I'm doing. Who's going to save me from this, the flesh of this death? I am a nothing but a miserable human being. But then he comes back. This is the epistle to the Romans. Then he comes back and says, but thank God for Jesus Christ. You know, he gave us his son to deliver me from this bondage. From this miserable being that... The good things that I want to do, I'm incapable of doing or I'm not doing. But the things that I really don't want to do, that's what I am being drawn to do. So why is it so easy to do the bad things? Okay. Number one, we are, we are made of, of three, three different elements. There is the body, the soul, and the spirit. First Thessalonians 5.23 St. Paul says we are made out of body, soul, and spirit. The body and the soul are from this realm. The spirit is from the other realm. You know, when the Lord God in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Well, from the heavens came the spirit. From the earth came the body and the soul. Talking of soccer, that's a Syrian cup, right? You know, sometimes when, when the teams play, they play uh, home away or home, yes? Is that what they say? I don't know, in the terminology of soccer, maybe? So if you are playing in your own town, in your own city, guess what? The people that are going to support you are going to be more than those who are not your supporters because you are playing in your own territory. Imagine it's an Australian team and they go and play in Dubai. Now, you're not going to have a lot of Aussies going to Dubai to cheer up their team. But if they're playing here in um, Homebush, yeah. If they're playing in Homebush, well, guess what? A lot of Aussies are going to go and, and support the, the Aussie team. If you're playing at home, you're going to have more supporters. And the more supporters means it's going to give you much more power, much more courage to go forward even if you're exhausted, you're tired, and you are sort of... You know, you're, you're losing. But it's still going to give you that sort of extra charge and energy to keep on going to overcome all the challenges that you are encountering. But if you're away and you have only a handful of people supporting you, the other people there in the stadium, the 60,000 are all supporting the other team, the cheering of those people is going to sort of affect your... Your, your strength is going to affect your, uh, your courage. It's going to affect, you know, 
that, that power in you to say, no, no, I'm going to win, I'm going to win. It's going to affect it in a negative way. So what's happening? The human being is made out of body, soul, and spirit. Now, here we are playing for the spirit. The spirit is playing home away. The spirit is not playing soccer in its own territory. The spirit has come to another country to play this game. There are more spectators supporting the body and the soul than the spirit. The spirit is feeling alone in a way. As a human being, I can only relate to things I see, I perceive, understand, I touch, I taste, I hear. The things that get in my head, that I can get them in my head. When you talk to me about things I cannot see, I cannot fully understand, I cannot grasp, I tend to switch off, naturally speaking. So, when I say to you, start working in this company, and if you do 10 hours a day, 7 days a week, at the end of the week, I'll give you $1,500 in your hand. Man, you'll be doing not only 10 hours, you'll be doing 20 hours. Why? Because I know I can get it in my hand. I'm going to get 2,000 bucks, man, at the end of the week. Westfield, Paramara, here we come. Eh? As a girl, I want to buy the best perfume, Chanel, or some other brands. And the latest bags, leather bag, I don't know what, what the brands are. And I want to buy a car, I want to I save up, I want to buy a house later on. So I can relate to the tangible, materialistic world that I'm living in. But if I say to you, come and pray, and then you come and pray, and it gets worse. Are you going to listen to me when I say, come and pray? So you're going to say, get lost. Why should I pray? I'm not getting nothing. Actually, it's getting worse. What did I get? Nothing. You keep on telling me, come to church, come to church, come to church. Well, I went to church, and then what happened? Okay? She left me, and I didn't get the job, and I failed my exam. And you're telling me, go to church? I'm not going to do that. I want to see a good change. I want to see something happening. I want to get it at the end of my job. I want to see the wage. But when I'm praying and I'm finished with my prayers, I'm not seeing that my hair's gone blonde. But when I go to the hairdresser, he makes it blonde. What I'm trying to say to you, the human being in a natural sense tends to go towards the materialistic life more than the spiritual life. That's why when we don't have the Lord Jesus really embedded in our hearts so strongly and so deeply, I'm going to drift naturally to this realm and whatever is in this world. I'm going to drift to it. I'd rather watch TV than, than read a Bible. I'd rather go out clubbing than go to a church. I'd rather have fun than sit in a room, shut the door and pray. I don't want to do that. You know, I want to enjoy life. These are the things that I can relate to. Because the majority of my structure is from this realm. One from the other, two from here. If we vote, who's going to win? <laughs> here. So that's, I'm talking in the natural sense. A human being 
loves doing things that can relate to. Do you see the other realm? No. When you pray, do you see the angels around you? No. Do you see Jesus with this naked eye? No. So, for me, to accept something that I don't see, can't understand, can't grasp with my hand, like the weights that I get at the end of the week, I tend not to do it that easily. That's why it is a struggle. It's a struggle for a lot of people to pray, a struggle for a lot of people to go to church, a struggle for a lot of people to come to Bible studies, a struggle to a lot of people to walk in the Lord's path. But guess what? This world and everything that's in it, if we're going to follow it and run after it, we will end up with absolutely nothing. That is the reality. That is the reality of this realm. If we chase this world, before, sooner or later, I'm going to have to leave it. I'll have to die one day. And when I die, what am I going to take with me? Absolutely nothing. And not only that, what am I going to take with me? Which is absolutely nothing. But on the other hand, if I go and do whatever things that people do out there, where are they going to end up at the end? What kind of end are they going to have? What kind of life are they going to come into? Why do I do the bad things, not the good things? You know, the Lord's disciples came and asked him, and they said, Lord, can you please teach us how to pray? We've been with you for a little while now, but we've never seen you praying, and we never taught us how to pray. So can you please teach us? He said, well, every time you pray, you say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, every time you pray, you say, Our Father who is in heaven, I want your will, ask your heavenly daddy, for his will to be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Now the earth is me and you. We are the earth. That's what the Lord is talking about. So ask your heavenly Father for his will, not yours, for his will to be done in you as it is done in heaven in his angels. Heaven means angelic orders. So ask every time you pray, every moment, wherever you are, whatever place it is and time, when you pray, ask your daddy, heavenly daddy, for his will to be done in your life just like it is done in his angels. Now, the angels in heaven, they never question God. They never disobey God. They never think about what God is saying and go back later at a different stage to say yes or no to God. You see, when God says something to any angel, the angel can't say, can you give me some time to think about it, God, whether I should do it or not? You know, I'm not ready now. When I'm ready, I'll come back to you. Time out, brother. Or an angel says, sorry, I'm not doing it. If it really blends in with my way of life, then I'll do it. But if it doesn't blend in with the way I want to live, I'll put God aside now. It's not his time. It's my time. It doesn't work. Angels do it on the spot. Now, whether, whether the request is good or could be harsh, you know, and um, in the book of Isaiah, when, when the Assyrians were surrounding Jerusalem, the Lord God sent an angel and he killed 185,000 from the Assyrian army. 185,000 with one angel. 185,000. See, when the Lord God said to the angel, go and kill all them, the angel would have said, well, hang on, hang on a sec, brother. What do you mean kill them? 100, 185,000, that's, 
That's rough. God, this is too much. I can't do it. No, no, you do it. And whatever comes from God, it is done on the spot. However, with us, when God says something, we do the opposite. He says, come, we go. He says, go, we come. He says, be quiet, we talk. He says, don't talk, we talk. Sit down, we stand up. We do the opposite. We do the bad things, not the good things, right? So whatever God says, do this, we do the opposite to it. Why? Because Jesus, when he taught the disciples, our Lord Jesus, when he taught the disciples the prayer, he included something that is so awesome, so powerful, that God himself has put in every one of us, and that is the will. The will is a tool so powerful can even stop God from interfering with your life. It can stop him. You can stop God from coming into your life. That how much it is powerful. The will. Now why? Why the Lord says every time you pray, ask God, your dad, about his will to be done, not your will. Because, maybe you've heard me this saying it before. Because God created us in his image and likeness. Wherever there is true love, there has to be freedom associated with that true love. You can never separate freedom from divine love, from true love. You can never. You can never say to someone, I love you to death, but I won't let you do whatever you want. I'm going to choke you. That is slavery. That is not love. When you love someone, you will give them a room to breathe, to move, to go and come and express their feelings, their thoughts, their emotions. There has to be an element of freedom. Otherwise, that love is no longer love. So, God is love. Therefore, He created us in His image and likeness. So, He put His love in us. And with that love, automatically came freedom. And wherever there is freedom, there must be choices with it. You can't say, I am free. Or you can never experience whether you are free or not unless you have the right to choose. By simply asking a question, that tells me and you, you are free. If you were not free, you wouldn't have been able to ask the question. But by being able to ask a question, that is a proof, absolute concise, to say that you are free. So, since there is freedom, there has to be choices. Now, there, since there are choices in life, there has to be a tool given to you in order to make a decision whether say yes to this or no to that. That tool is called the will. Now, the will is the tool to make a choice through the freedom that comes by the love from God. We said earlier that the human being is made out of body, soul, and spirit. Let's come to the soul. Now, I want you to focus here. We come to the soul. The soul, I cannot pinpoint the soul in the human being. People say that the soul is in the blood. Yes, that is a true statement as well. But whereabouts is it really? And what is a soul? To really understand it more in a simplistic way, I'll say it in, in this way for you. The soul is made out of five components. It's made out of five components. There is the subconscious mind, there is the conscience mind, there is the will, there is the thought, 
and there is the feelings and the emotions. I'll say it again. The subconscious, the conscious mind, the will, the thought, the feelings and the emotions. This is the soul. So when you feel this way and feel that way, this comes from the soul. It's not from the spirit, it's not from the body. When you say, I'll, I'll do this and I'm not going to do this, that's the will that is in your soul. Subconscious mind. Subconscious mind, in a simple term, your hard drive in the computer. It is a place where you store everything you have heard, you have seen, you have took on board. It's a storage room, the subconscious. The conscience or the rational mind is the one that you use on a day-to-day -day basis to manage, plan, and live your life on earth. That's the conscience. The thought and the feelings and the emotions. This is the soul. Now, guys, the will is in the soul. There is the body on the other side, on, the, on one side, and the spirit is on the other side. And the soul is in the middle. Now, why... Is there a soul? You see, when you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says that the Lord God created the heavens and the earth. Heavens, light. Earth, darkness, death. So from the heavens, he gave you a spirit. From the heavens where there is light, where there is life, he gave you the spirit. From the darkness, from the death, earth, he gave you the body. The body in itself is a dark, dead object. He gave, he brought something from above and something from below. He brought spiritual and physical, divine and material. And he brought the light and the darkness and he said, I'm going to create a human being in my image and my likeness that, and I will put in this being both worlds heaven and earth. I will put in him both worlds. I'll put the light, heaven, darkness, the earth. However, St. Paul says, can there be ever a joining together between light and darkness? Can they ever join together? Is there any sharing between the two? There isn't. When the sun rises, darkness disappears. When the sun sets, darkness comes on board. It is either light or darkness. Can, can we have the light and darkness together at the same time? Can we? No. It's either light or dark. Now the spirit is light, the body is dark. Can they mix together? No. Can they be together at the same time? No. Darkness and light can't mix. So what did the Lord God do? He wanted from both worlds to be together. So he put in the middle to join these two worlds together something called the soul. The soul joins the two together. In that soul... He gave you the most powerful tool called the will. Now, I say it in, in this sort of analogy so we can understand it. Let's say the soul is a girl, right? And there are two guys that are interested in this girl and they want to sort of marry this girl. One guy is called the body and the other guy is called the spirit. Now, she can't be to both of them at the same time. She has got to be, she has to choose one of the two. Can't, can't marry both. We don't have that in Christianity, as some do. <laughs> For anyway, so so the body comes and says, "Hey, babe, how you doing? Good-looking Assyrian, uh, with a big Assyrian nose. No problem. You know what? I'm interested in in sort of being with you and sharing my life with you. What do you say, babe? Now the babe has the will. 
right? The babe has the will. She looks at the body, you know, and with all the different choices and options and feelings and emotions and you know, the, the rest, the conscience and the subconscious. Yeah, you're not bad. Okay, there is another guy interested in me. Just wait a second. And then the spirit comes knocking at the door. Hi, madam. <laughs> I'm interested in, um, in joining you, sharing my life with you. What do you say? You know, I'm good looking. What do you say? We go out and get to know each other. If you're going to blush and say, oh, my heart is, is sort of bum, 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 bum. And then you fall in love with the spirit, man. Then you become a spiritual being. When you choose with your will, the spirit over the body, you become a spiritual being. When you are a spiritual being, the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus is your holy companion. When the Lord Jesus, when you open the door to the spirit man to come into your life, the spirit man is going to teach you all about spiritual things. The more he teaches you about the spiritual things, the next time you look at the world, you're going to see it a piece of garbage with every pleasure that's in it. It's nothing but garbage. And then you'll start saying to yourself, where was I? How blind was I when I used to love going downtown and hanging around Mecca's? That was the silliest thing I ever did in my life. What happened? Because there was an eye that was shut for so long. Only God can open. But God cannot open it unless you make Him free in your life. You see, the will is so awesome. And God will never break in to your house, into your life. Because if He breaks in, He becomes a thief. And God said, do not steal. Is He going to break His own word? Is He going to go against Himself? Impossible. Why? Because in His divine nature, it is impossible for God to contradict Himself because He is the perfect God. And you know what, when we say God is perfect, do you know what perfect means? Who can tell me what perfect is? Very hard, isn't it? But we, we're used to saying this word, God is perfect, we're not. What do you mean God is perfect? What is perfect? How come He's perfect and we're not? Uh, you want to go for it? Go for it. Sinless? Yeah. I know. Oh. I'll give you a very simple definition where this perfection came as a title for God. God is perfect because He is the only being that His existence came within Himself, not externally to Himself. That's why He's perfect. Every other beings all existed externally. What I mean externally, I mean... They never existed by their own self. Someone else pre-existed to them that made them exist. You with me? I could not exist unless my parents came together. Somebody brought me into existence. God is perfect because He is the only being that His existence is related to His own self, no one else. That's the perfection of God. Now, if you can achieve that, then you can say, I'm perfect. And if you can't achieve that, then it is so dangerous to say, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> because you don't. Because only you'll know what you're doing if you're perfect. And since you're not, then you don't know what you're doing. So what we need to do is we need to come back. If I let Jesus in, he's not going to break in because he's going to be called a thief. So what's going to happen? He's going to knock. 
And if through my will and through my freedom, I choose to open the door, then I'm going to marry the spirit. When I marry the spirit, I'll become spiritual. Then this world is going to be, is going to be a place to live for Jesus. It's going to be a place to glorify Jesus in. I'm not going to use this world so I can enjoy myself and do the things I want because there is going to be another will overriding my own will. That will is divine, is heavenly. And then and then only I will start understanding what life is all about. And I want to talk to you about this topic. You know how it came? It just came beautiful. What life is all about. People ask this question all the time. A lot of times, a lot of people ask it. What am I doing here? Why am I in this world? What is the purpose behind my existence? What is this? 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 What's going on? I don't understand. Can someone explain to me why I'm here? The only place, the only place, now listen to this, the only place where you are considered, respected, accepted as a unique individual is Christianity. You go to the pantheistic worldview, you go to the monotheistic, Islam is monotheistic, pantheistic is Buddhism, Hinduism, pantheistic worldviews. You go to these worldviews, the religions of the world, in other words, you go to them, the pantheistic will tell you there is a reincarnation. Now, what is in the reincarnation? The reincarnation, the ultimate achievement in the reincarnation is to have a union with the divine. The ultimate achievement in the reincarnation, the pantheistic worldview, those religions that hold this and share this belief, their ultimate achievement is if I can get to be united with the divine, to have union. And the other worldview, do your best, and the best you can do, you're a slave. In both, in both beliefs, in both worldviews, me and you are nothing. We do not exist. You see, to have a union with the divine, that's the ultimate achievement. To have a union with the divine, meaning the only way for this to happen is for a singular format to remain at the end of this, this journey. That means, union means there's only one, a singular one. And guess what? Who's going to be the supreme one? The divine. So where are you? I just joined him and I'm gone, finished. There's only one. Slavery, as a slave, do you call yourself an individual? A unique, separate individual that needs to be respected and adhered to and listened to and given a chance to express their feelings and their thoughts and their freedom of speech. As a slave, you've got no say. So therefore, this makes you nothing and the other one makes you nothing. And in the pantheistic, it's even more dangerous. If you don't do well, you can come back a, less, a lesser being than you were in the previous life. So in both worldviews, the individual being, as us human beings, we do not exist. You are only classed as a unique, respectable individual is in the Christian faith. Is in the Christian faith. And the word individual comes from a Latin word which means it cannot be divided. 
That means an individual, you are a one whole unit that can never be divided. You are one and one only. There is no way that can be divided. That's what individual means. Cannot be divided. In the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that's where you see yourself as that individual. God loves you so much. God loves you so much that he created you in his image and likeness. Yet, having said that I want you to be united to me, but that kind of unity did not mean that I lost my individuality. I'm still united to God, but I'm still keeping my individuality. That's why he's going to give everyone a glorified body at the end. Why, why do you think God would give you a glorified body if he didn't care for you as an individual? See? Because you came to this life with a body. He's going to give you a body. Because this body, what is that? When you have a body, what does that mean? You mean that means you are a unique individual. Your DNA, no one else has it. 3.1 billion bits of information that your DNA is made of. 3.1 billion bits of information in every DNA. But no one's fingerprint is the same. Every human being, fingerprint is different to the other. Wow. Look what God went through to prepare you as an individual. How much He respects you and loves you and respects your individualistic entity. He's saying, yes, I want you to be with me, but I want you as you. Unity with me does not mean you, you diminish, you abolish. No, 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 no. You stay as you are, but you are joined to me. You know, this because when you, when you say, I love you, if you don't give them their individual fingerprint, you don't really love them. If you want them to do by force the things that you want them to do, then you are wiping away their individual entity and their existence. Now, why did God make us as individual, unique individuals? Everybody is unique. Everybody has their own entity and property. Why? God made us, my beloved, and that's, you know, it came to that I want to talk to you about this, talking about why am I doing the bad things, not doing the good things. We need to understand why we're here in order maybe to have a better understanding of what is good and what is bad. You see, God made us. The purpose of God, of which God that made us, is to understand two things. He made us. The purpose of God's making us, for us to understand two things. One, life. Two, worship. He created us on the purpose of, for us to understand as unique individuals. He created us in order to understand that you are here to understand what life is and what worship is. An archbishop of the Anglican Church, I don't know if he's still there or he's an ex-archbishop now, William Temple. When he talks about worship, he defines it in this way, William Temple. Look how he defines worship. He says, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, nourishment of the mind by His truth, purifying of imagination by His beauty, opening of the heart to His love, and submission of will to His purpose, all this gathered up in adoration 
is the greatest expression of which we are capable. What is worship? The submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, nourishment of the mind by His truth, a purifying of imagination by His beauty, opening of the heart to His love, submission of our will to His purpose. All this gathered up in adoration is the greatest expression of which we are capable. That is the ultimate expression of worship. Why? Because life in itself is diverse. Life in itself is diverse. There are so many things in life. But when you understand that when you submit your entire nature to God, when you open up your heart, your mind, your soul to God, when you give your will to His will and to His purpose, then you will understand what life and the diversity of life is all about. When you start worshiping the divine, when you give your will to God, He will teach you in, in what way it should be defined. Why am I doing bad things and not, and not doing good things? Because I have not understood yet why am I here for. You see, when I understand why I'm here for, and then to understand the purpose of it, what I need to do, I need to give my entire life to Jesus. When I give my entire life to Jesus, that is the ultimate worship of God. When I give my life to Him, He will make me understand what this life is all about. Only the Creator knows what life is all about. Give Him your will. Give Him your heart. Give Him your mind. Give Him your soul. Give Him your whole being. Ask Him. Beg Him to grant you the, the wisdom, the courage, the strength to let go of yourself into His hands. The more you let go of yourself and give it to Jesus, the more He's going to teach you what your life and the purpose of your life here on earth is all about. Then you can really understand what is good and what is bad and how I can do good and avoid bad. Guys, if you look, when God calls us to be united to Him, when God calls us to be united to Him, He put that in a very sort of a small reflection of it in what we call marriage or what the Lord God called it as a matrimony or marriage. If you look in marriage, do you see there is a man and a woman in this marriage. And in this kind of relationship where the, the man and the woman come together and give their life to one another, the Holy Bible calls this, they are no longer two but one. He calls it, they are no longer two but one. When the Holy Bible calls it, they are one, are they really one? Have they lost their individual sense and entity and belongings? No, they are still an individual unique being, but the Bible, God himself calls them, they are no longer two but one. But really, they haven't lost their individuality, but they have become one. Why does the Bible call this kind of relationship, the two have become one? What happens in marriage? The two become one, the word become one, the body become one, the life become one, the action become one, the meaning become one. Everything becomes one in expression. I love you. The other guy says, I love you. They talk, 
the unity here, the unity here is they, even when they talk, they agree. The body become one. I give you my life, you give me your life. We share it under one roof. This is why the Bible calls that the two became one, because they become united in the word, in the flesh, in their life, in their actions, in the meanings, in everything they had, they shared it together. The sharing of everything together, that's what the Bible calls it one. But are they really one? No. That is why God himself, who is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he says, he says that, that's why God, who is the Trinity, says that love in a relationship, love cannot exist unless there is a relationship. Love is in the relationship. That's why God is three in one and one in three. Because in the Trinity, there is the unity and the, the diversity in the unity of the Trinity. God is diverse. His Father, His Son, His Holy Spirit. There is diversity here. They are not all the same. But in this diversity, there is a unity. What is that unity? That the three share everything together. The three came together in unity, but keeping their individual beings unique to one another. But the unity came in sharing everything through the diversity and that relationship that is based on love, the unity of the community came together. Those people who say God is only one and can't be three, how can love exist? Who am I going to share that love with? Just me? I'm just one. And who are you going to talk with? <laughs> see, when, when God talked, that's a problem, you see. If you're just one, when God talked, who was he talking with? Who was he talking to? If he's just one, who was he talking to? If God is love, who was he loving? I can't be just me. There has to be a diversity. There has to be a diversity because for love to really exist and to, to live that love, there has to be a relationship between individuals. So that's why God is, is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is diverse and persons here, but they are united in their relationship because they share everything together. There is nothing that is hidden from one party to the other. Everyone has the same mind, the same heart, the same feelings, the same emotions, and everyone gives themselves to the other. The Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Holy Spirit loves the Son, the Father. They are united in that love, in the relationship that is built on love, in that community that they make. That's why we refer to the Holy Eucharist as the Holy Communion. It is not a union. When you are united to someone only, that means you blend into that someone you fade. When you are in communion with that someone, meaning it is a community in unity. That's what communion is. Communion means community in unity. Now, in the community, are they all the same? Are they all one, as in one individual? No. In the community, there are individuals. But how are they un in union? Because that community is in one place. In one, they share the same border. They share the same um, lifestyle. 
That is the community. So when we have the Holy Eucharist, we are in communion with God, meaning I am in union with the community of the Holy Trinity. So meaning I am united to Him, but I haven't lost my individual being. I'm still me, but I'm united in Him. When you are in the midst of people, do you see yourself as united to them, but still separate from them? That's one. Ask yourself this question and try to answer it. When you are with people, do you see yourself as united to them, but still separate to them? That's one. When you are in the midst of people, that could be your own family, where you live with your parents. That's your community. That could be with your friends. That's your community. That could be at work. That's your community. That could be in the church. That's your community. When you are in that community, do you see yourself as united to them, but still as an individual unique? Secondly, when you are in that community with people, then therefore you're saying, I am in a relationship of some sort. Are you building that relationship on love? How are you building it on? Why am I doing bad things? Because maybe, maybe what happened that ended me up doing bad things, I was with other people, but I forgot that I'm an individual unique, so I started doing what they do. And I forgot that I'm a unique individual. I have my own identity. Don't be a cockatoo and just repeat after me. You have your own mind. You have your own way of thinking. Why do you let people drive you? Why? Why do you just copy them? You're not a copy machine. You're an individual, unique fingerprint. Secondly, when you have dealings with people, is your way of thinking and your mindset built on love? What is your intention when you do this kind of dealing with others? Do you do it because you want to hurt them? Do you do it because you want to go above them? Do you want to do it because you want to be seen a good person and them the bad people? What is your intention? If it's built on love, if it's built on love, then you will do everything in your capacity to reflect something that is of a divine source. So if we can say, what is my purpose on earth? What is the goal of, my, of this life on earth? Is to reflect, to reflect that relationship that you have with God, your purpose on earth is to reflect the relationship that you have with God and then through God with your neighbor. And that was the law that, that the Lord Jesus actually gave to that Pharisee. He said, all other laws hang on this. What is it? Love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor like yourself. My purpose on earth is to reflect the relationship that I have with God and the overflow of this relationship with God should be reflected on my neighbor. But what we do is I love my neighbor and then I love God. I mix them. I mix them and I swap them. That's what I start asking for trouble. If I put myself first, I'll do the bad things. If I put my neighbor first, I'll do the bad things, not the good things. But if I put God and then my relationship with God, then the, the love that comes out of this relationship between God and I, that overflow of that love should be reflected on my neighbor. Then I should love my neighbor 
the way I love my God. Because God and I are one. He united me to Him. He united me to Him. He made me one, but He kept my individual person. Why? Because unless He keeps me as a unique individual, how am I going to enter a relationship if I don't exist? How is He going to expect me to love Him if He's going to abolish my individuality? God created me to have a family. In a family, everyone is a unique individual. You can't say to your son, don't talk, shut up, none of your business. No, whether you like it or not, the child has the right to speak. So, God is our Heavenly Father. He created me to be His family. Therefore, He maintains that individual person. You are so highly respected by God. You are so highly accepted by God. You are so highly endorsed by God that God Himself, the author of the creator of everything, the supreme authority of everything, says to you, I accept you as a unique individual and I give you the right to speak your mind up. You chase the world and you chase the people of this world, you will end up nothing. You are wiping your identity because the world will only take from you and give you nothing. And when the time comes that the world has taken everything from you, then the world turns around and says, we don't know who you are. You're finished. Jesus came to say that my death on the cross is to give you that identity back that you lost once upon a time. That's why Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Bad people good is nothing. But dead people alive is everything because your identity is only lost when you're dead, not when you're bad. Your identity is only found when you're alive, not when you're good. Jesus came to give you your identity back that Adam, our father, and all of us are Adam, lost it in the Garden of Eden. When we broke his word, we lost our identity. And when we lost our identity, we lost that relationship because without an identity, I cannot enter a relationship. And when I lost that relationship, guess what? I lost that love that was in that relationship. And when I lost that love that was in that relationship, I became a nothing. Jesus came to give me the ultimate life. What is life? I am an individual unique. Now Jesus says, would you like to enter a relationship with me again? Forget about what you've done in the past. Don't look back. I wiped it on the cross. All I want you to do is, I gave you life. I gave you an identity. Do you want to accept it? If you say yes, you will marry the Spirit. Through your will, if you say yes, you will marry the Spirit. Then Jesus will start working in your life. He'll bring you into this unity in the diverse community, in the Holy Trinity. He'll make God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, your holy companion. You'll become a friend, united to them, but still keeping your identity. Because that's the only way you can then say, I express my love back to you, God. Because I am a unique individual. I'm still unique. Jesus gave you that identity back. When we deny Jesus, I'm denying my own identity. Therefore, when I go out there, 
I am a nothing. I'm just a number. I'm not a person. They can trash me anytime they want. Don't mix with the wrong world. Don't mix with the wrong people. Build your life on Christ, then build it with your neighbor. Don't say, I love you, unless you love Jesus. You can't say, I love you to someone, unless you love Jesus first. Because where did that love come from? There has to be a source for it. And that source is God himself. So when you love God, build that relationship with him. Then he will teach you on how to love your neighbor. Now, what do we need to do as youngsters? Right? Don't sit too much on the computer. Don't go out too much. Don't have fun too much. Don't hang around Meccas too much. Don't go clubbing, bro. What do we need to do? So we need to do it right with God. I need to make my friend the Bible. I need to read the Holy Bible every night. I need to make that my nourishment, my food every day. I need to go to church. If I haven't been to church for a while, I need to go every Sunday without fail to receive him in the Holy Communion. See? Christ has given you himself, but keeping your individuality. That's communion. Wow. You see, I'm not abolishing you because you are everything to me. You are as an individual so unique, so precious to me. I can never deny you. I died on the cross to say you are an individual. You better respect that. And give him thanks for that. And praise him for what he's done for you. He gave you respect, self-dignity. Well, you want to sell it with the, in the pig's field? Just because my friends told me, come on, let's go down and have fun. There's good, beautiful girls in the city. That's rubbish. That's garbage. You are much more precious than this kind of dirt. Don't lose track of the one who gave you what you are now. Go to church. Training. There's storms, floods. I don't care. I'm going to church. I'm receiving my sweetheart Jesus and the Holy Communion. United in the community of the Trinity. There is nothing greater than this. And remember, I think a lot of you now, most of you are mature enough to understand that we're not going to stay here for a very long life. You know, we're not here forever. I can live 60, 80, 100. May God bless you and give you a long life. But we know that one day we're going to go. So what are we going to do? Are we going to chase this empty world and the pleasures and the filth of this world? Come on, build a life that is on the rock, on Jesus Christ. Become someone that Jesus says, I am proud of. Do something that you can leave a legacy behind you when you leave. Love the Lord Jesus. Put him number one and say, Lord, teach me how to keep this relationship with you so that I can share it with my neighbor. So that I can share it with my neighbor. Without Jesus, I can't love my neighbor. And without Jesus, I'm not a unique individual. Therefore, I cannot enter any relationship and when I do, I'll stuff it up. I will ruin it. Stop listening to people. Listen to Jesus. I beg you guys. You are young. I know what goes out there. I know what is happening out there in the world. With all the technology and all the temptations and all, all the traps that Satan has put in the 21st century. My goodness, man. The world is engulfed with a lot of ugly things. And it's so easy to be drawn into those traps. 
Stop sitting, listening to this and that and, and see what these people are doing and imitate people. You, you are not here to imitate. You are here to reflect the image of Christ that is in you. Make Jesus your friend, your holy friend. Listen to him. By reading the Bible, you'll get to understand how he thinks. By reading the Bible, going to church, receiving him and the Holy Communion, uh, coming to Bible studies, doing good things, and you can still enjoy life. You can still go out with your friends and have lunch and dinner and go to birthday parties, but don't go clubbing, don't take drugs. And there is no need to, uh, you know, put a, f a few boys and girls in the car and drive fast. You don't need to do all these things. You have been called to a much greater, much more precious life than this temporal one. Believe you me. See, when you, when you really come to the Lord and you open the door to Him and welcome Him into your life, He will show you how beautiful this life is. He will show you then how beautiful this life is. He will show you how beautiful it is. I'll finish it off on this, and it's a scary part when I say that. The most precious thing in this life, as a human being I'm talking about now, the most precious thing in this life you could ever have, live, and share is love. Is love. The most precious. What does it mean that I love someone who has hurt me and gone against me and then done terrible things? How can I love my enemy? How can I love someone who hurt me so much? When you get to the level where you start loving everyone, regardless what they've done and said about you, then you can really understand what life is all about. Then when you look back and see what people said and done, bought, sold, gone, came, knocked down, built up, rubbish, man, rubbish. Guys, give your life to the Lord and ask Him to come into your life. Let me live with you, Lord Jesus. Allow me. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And it's a priceless gift God could ever give to anyone. It's to let you be united to Him, yet keeping your individual fingerprint. See how precious you are in Christianity? Morally speaking, if I compare Christianity to other religion, I override them all. Because... I have respect. God respects me. Other religions, even animals, don't respect me. God bless you guys. Let's stand for the finale prayer, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Amen. May the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, protect you, and give you His divine love, and fill your hearts with it, so that may you may see, understand, and perceive 
what his purpose is for you and the plan that he has put from the very beginning of the creation of everything in your life. That you live a life of worship, adoring God, entering a relationship with him so that through that relationship built on love with the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you can say to your neighbor, I love you like myself. And the Lord Jesus bless you, guide you, and protect you now and forevermore. Amen.